Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we have come to the end of our series on Disciple You. We have been looking at this series. Basically, it has been a Discipleship 101, learning just what the basics of what it looks like to be a disciple. I had several folks who left out of the 930 service that said, man, we're really going to miss this series. And I had one, fo- one uh, couple that said, I'm really going to miss that music. I thought just a few minutes ago, man, wouldn't that be a great song that you had on, the, on your radio or something that you heard every morning when it's time to get up? I mean, that, if, so if you need that, you just contact Tristan, and I'm sure he'll be glad to send that to you for your spouse or whoever uh, so they can hear that in the mornings when it's time to get up. Nevertheless, we are looking today at the topic of the conquering, and we're looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6 here in just a few moments. But as we think about this... You know, last week we talked about the conflict. We talked about the sin. Uh, We talked about Satan's schemes, the flesh, how the flesh is constantly in conflict uh, against the spirit. And I I sort of left you all hanging at the end of the service last week. said, okay, so you need to know how to overcome. Well, you need to come back next week. Well, this is where we are now, right? And so as we think about this idea of conquering, you know, in reality, no one likes to lose, Right? No one likes to lose. You don't, nobody likes to lose your key. You don't lo- like to lo- when you lose your keys or if you lose your place in line. And win every day as well. There's this daily win that comes through Jesus Christ overcoming uh, sin and Satan and self and having victory in Jesus. All right, so we're going to look at that in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. In honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this very familiar passage of Scripture for us this morning. <clears throat> the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, armor of God uh, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come before you, we we doubtless come before you broken, uh, bombarded, embattled, 
and tired even of dealing with sin, dealing with the struggles, dealing with issues of life, the inner turmoil of our flesh and the spirit, knowing what to do, knowing what not to do, and doing the opposite. But God, we thank you that in your word you have taught us how we are are able to overcome in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would take what is read in the word of God today and how the Spirit takes it and applies it to our hearts and lives that we may live this out daily, living out the conquering over sin, over Satan, over self, by your power, that we'll walk away growing closer to you, more in love with you, have a greater passion for you, and looking more like you in every area of our life. Father, we praise you and thank you. We pray, Lord, that you'd use me simply as your instrument today. Lord, may you speak, and may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you look in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes to the believers there in the church there at Ephesus. A great book, powerful book to read. But as you look here in this book, especially in chapter 2, Paul reminds the believers or the disciples there at Ephesus some key things about themselves, about them being children of God, about us as believers who are disciples, that we have been, as disciples, we have been born again, that we have redemption through His blood, that we have the forgiveness of of sins, that we as believers, as disciples, we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. And we, are, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but then God did something in our lives. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, if you just back up just a couple chapters before we dive into chapter 6, in chapter 2, in verses 2 through 5, we read that Paul writes this to the believers there in Ephesus, where he says, which really applies to all of us as believers, look, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, but God, don't you like that part? But God, rich, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He is telling us here that we are now believers, we're disciples, we're changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, and he comes to the last part of this letter to the church at Ephesus. He says to them, verse verse 10, finally, finally. And then he closes out this letter with some who would say probably one of the most important passages for all disciples, and that is how to overcome. Here we are as disciples. Here we are as believers. We've been saved by his grace. We're born again. We're we're bought at a price. We're believers in Jesus. But as the letter comes to a close, you need to know that you're going to face some difficulties. And here's how you overcome the daily grind, the daily turmoil in your life against Satan and sin. Y'all with me this morning? That's what he's telling them here. So we're called, look. We are called, what he says here is that we are called to be the church daily as disciples. And here is what we need to know. He is saying, look, here, as he lines this up about overcoming, here is what you need to know to conquer the attacks of the devil. Here's what you need to know. Y'all ready to hear what you need to know? Here's what you need to know. You can't do it. Mm. You can't do it. And so the first point is, depend on the Lord. Depend on the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have this turmoil, but if you're trying to overcome this in your own flesh, you cannot do it. We must all depend on the Lord. 
to overcome. To be the conquerors against sin, against Satan, against the self, we must depend on the Lord. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Do you see a common denominator there in what he's saying? Did you notice it? Notice the power that he talks about is not our own power. Did you notice that he said to be strong in the Lord? To, we see the power of his might. It's the armor of God. It's nothing that you can do. It's all what God can do. And he says that you are to have, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might, put on the whole armor, that you may be able to stand. You've got to rely on the Lord in order to stand against the schemes of the devil. You have to depend on him. Against the devil's schemes, against the devil's practices, against his wiles, against his tricks, we are able to stand only as we depend on the Lord. You see, power belongs to the Lord. In Psalm 62, verse 11, we read these words, that God has spoken once, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. You think you have power? Somebody gave you that power. God gave you the power. Power belongs to God. As Paul is writing this, these verses out here, and giving the disciples here what they need to understand. He is not saying, oh yeah, by the way, as I'm finishing out this letter, you hear some information just in case you might need this. That's not what he's saying here. No, he is saying to them as disciples, realizing who they are in Jesus Christ and how to live this life. Before I close my letter, you need to know that this is real and this is going to happen in your life. You're going to face the schemes, the wiles, the sin, the, the temptations of the devil. And you need to be able to overcome. So this is very important, Paul is saying. It's going to happen. It's very real. And he says in verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He's saying, we, we not, he's saying we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but on the opposite, he is saying, but we are wrestling or we do wrestle against these principalities. It is a wrestling match. Rest, the word wrestle means struggle. It means battle. It means a fight. And brothers and sisters, as we talked about a little bit last week, we live in a Genesis 3 world that is sin-sick and a sin-cursed world. And so these wrestling matches that we face and that we're in, we cannot win them because these are spiritual battles. This, is a, this fight is a spiritual fight, and that's what we need to understand, that we must depend on the Lord. In James chapter 4, 7, we read these words, Therefore, and this is going to highlight in your Bibles, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This depending on God, the first part of that verse we see here, this submitting to God, that's depending on Him because the word submit means to surrender, to relinquish control to, to be obedient to what it is that God wants us to do. You know, if we're very honest, the nature about us is we don't want to be out of control of anything. We always like to be in control of everything. Well, maybe not everybody, but most people do anyway, right? We like to have some kind of control. And so we, the Bible tells us here, look, that in this battle in which we're facing, you are not carnal, which means of the flesh. Of the flesh. They're not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You see, we are to submit to God, depending on the Lord, depending on His power, depending on His might. And depending on his armor. We are to depend on the Lord to be the conquerors in this battle in which we face. We're to depend on him. All throughout the scripture we see folks who are depending on him. As a matter of fact, even when you just look at the beginning of man, how God created man. When you think about how man came upon this earth, the man did not just come out of the clay. He could not do that on his own, could he? God created the man out of clay. He breathed life into his nostrils. 
God, the, so man, the first man depended upon God for life. As you go through the scriptures, oh, I just wish I had time to tell you about Noah and how he depended on God to bring the animals to the ark and also how he depended on God to close the door of the ark. Oh, I just wish I had time to tell you uh, about Abraham and how he depended on God for the sacrifice of his son Isaac. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you about how uh, Moses depended on God bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and how he also depended on God for that, to protect them over that first Passover and how he depended upon God as they got to that Red Sea and the Red Sea parted. Man, wish I had time to tell you about Abraham, Noah, Moses, and the Israelites. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you about the Israelites who depended on God to receive the manna in the wilderness and the water from the rock. You know, I wish I had time to tell you about how Joshua depended on God as he, they sought direction as they were in the wilderness going toward the promised land. I wish I had time to tell you about how they depended on God as they came to the Jordan River. And God parted even the Jordan River for them to cross over into the promised land. I wish I had time to tell you about old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they depended upon God as they were in the midst of that fiery furnace. Or even how Daniel, oh, I wish I could tell you about how Daniel depended upon God as he was in the midst of that lion's den. Or all those prophets, how they depended upon God to preach the truth of God in difficult places to some very difficult people. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you folks today about how the lame man depended upon Jesus to walk. How the blind man depended upon Jesus to see. How the deaf man depended upon Jesus to be able to hear. How Mary and Martha depended upon Jesus to raise their dead brother to life and he came to life. Or the multitudes, how they depended on Jesus to be fed with just loaves and fishes. Brother, I can tell you that because of the cross, I can tell you this, that we do depend on him to save us from sin. And because of the resurrection, we also are dependent on him to save us from death one day. You see, friends, if this God, and by the way, this is the same God we serve is the same God that we find in the Scriptures, that if they could depend on Him, brothers and sisters, we can depend on Him and His power to help us every single day to overcome sin and overcome temptation as we live our lives. We can depend on God. Amen? Look at verse 13. It tells us here. Paul says, look. He says, before we get there, let me tell you what the second point is. He says, you need to defend yourself. To defend yourself. As we look at verse 13 here. We come to this point and we say, okay, well, I understand that I'm supposed to depend on Jesus, so I'm just going to trust Jesus now. So I don't have to worry about anything else. So as I face temptation, face, I'm just going to depend on the Lord in my life. That's right. You must depend on But listen. You also must do your part. Yes, you must trust the Lord. You must depend on Him. But also, He tells us something in this passage that He gives us the tools to win in this conflict. It is His armor. And we find as it begins in verse 13. Paul has just said, Look, you need to be strong in the Lord, power of His might, the whole armor of God. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, we're wrestling against all these powers, this wickedness. Therefore, since we're going in this battle, you need to know, therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Since we're wrestling, he said, since we're wrestling against these powers, therefore take up the whole armor of God. You need to remember that, yes, you're depending upon him, but you must defend yourself as he is enabling you with what you must wear, how you must live. We must put this into place. This, this armor every day. As a matter of fact, it is to be a continual armor that we have on. These are ways in which we are to live as disciples in order to have this conquering over sin and Satan's temptations in ourselves. In order to, he says, in order to withstand or in order to stand. To stand. Think about that. He's saying in order to withstand the attacks, to stand firm. These, look, these are defensive positions because the devil is constantly going to be coming at you. Always, always, always tempting you, wanting you to mess up. Y'all with me this morning? He's always after you. And so he's, Paul is saying that the Bible is telling us that we are to stand. 
And how do you stand this defensive position, holding this critical position while we're under attack? He shows us here with this armor of God. Look at verse 14. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Having girded your waist with truth. That means a belt of truth. Now, you probably have heard all this before, but just entertain me and listen again, all right? As to what this looks like. As Paul is probably chained to a guard, he probably sees some of this armor. Uh, but you need to know that a soldier, uh, as the people in that culture, they would have had long flowing outer garments. They would have had this belt that wrapped around them. And when they were prepared to fight, when they were prepared for battle, when they didn't know what was going to be happening, but they were ready to run or ready to fight, they would take their long flowing garments, they would pull it up, and they would tuck it into that belt so that there was nothing that would hinder them in their walk, nothing that would hinder them in their run. And so they had this belt on, and they would tuck all this garment in. There was nothing that was left undone, and they were always prepared to fight. They were always prepared with this belt of truth on. Now he says it's a belt of truth. So he's explaining to us that this truth is what we must have on. This is who we must be. It's truth or truthfulness. It's who you are to be. You are to be, look now, you're to be a person of truth. Meaning that you are not to be a hypocrite. But a truthful person in your walk with Jesus Christ. In other words, you are to have a genuine commitment to Christ. That genuine commitment to Christ is the truthfulness that you have as that you keep everything else tucked in. I'm going to tuck all that I am in my commitment to Jesus Christ. So as I have temptations that come my way, I have the belt of truth that I am going to be committed to Jesus. Because I am born again, I'm a disciple of his, I'm a child of God, I've been bought at a price, and since he is my Savior and I am his child, I will not flinch, I will not fail, I will not falter. So I'm going to have that as my belt of truth. So when the devil comes after me, I want to make sure that I have my commitment that I am a truthful person in my walk with Jesus Christ. So I am prepared for whatever the devil is going to throw our way, my way, because I've committed my life to Christ, and the life that I live is rooted in Jesus Christ. So it's not a role that I'm playing, but it's real. It's not a sham, but it's sure. It's not all hype, but I am his. Y'all with me? But the devil, you see, he would love for you to be the disciple that is rather a fake to your family, a joke on your job a hypocrite in the hallway, apathetic in your arena, lazy in your life, or a wimp in your walk. That's what he wants. That's what he wants in you. But friends, as we see that, as he pushes us in that direction, you make sure that you've got the belt of truth, that you are committed truthfully to Jesus Christ. Be his, be all in for Jesus, and be committed to Jesus Christ. Nothing should get in my way of my commitment to Jesus Christ. Nothing's going to cause me to stumble. Nothing's going to cause me to, to, to fall because I am committed to Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? All right. So then we see also the breastplate of righteousness. That's the next thing here, verse 14. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was this thing that they had on them here that protected their heart and protected the organs and protected their bowels, the intestines. And in that day, the heart and the bowels were considered to be the seat of the mind and the will, the emotions and the feelings. And so basically what Paul is saying here as he's talking about this breastplate of righteousness, he is saying this very important for you as a disciple, as a born-again believer, that you guard your heart and guard Guard your mind. Guard your heart by your emotions. Guide your mind, guard your mind by your feelings. Guard your heart and guard your mind. You know, the devil is so apt to go after our emotions. When we're hungry or we're tired or we're angry or we're lonely, boy, he can really just dig in sometimes. All kinds of deceptive ways to get us to go in the wrong direction. Paul is saying here, guard your heart and guard your mind with this breastplate of righteousness. So he's saying this righteousness is make sure that you're living this life that's not a lie, but it's righteous. 
living a life of practical righteousness, doing that which is right in the sight of God, being obedient to God's holy standard, living the holy life, what God has called us to be. So we have this breastplate of righteousness, guarding your heart and guarding your mind that you are committed, that you're protecting, guarding your heart and mind so that you're going to live this life out that God has called us to live. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 says this, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. As you think things, and as the devil calls you to think things, you take it to the throne room of Jesus Christ. Let him capture your thoughts. Guard your thoughts. Beloved, this is so important. Guard your thoughts and guard your hearts because he is out to destroy you. We talked about that last week. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Think on these things. And then if you go to Romans 13, verses 12 and 14, the Bible says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. As believers, let's live like believers. That's what he's saying. Let us put on the armor of a light. But put on, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision, no provision, no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. None. Make no provision for it. So as the devil comes, listen, as the devil comes against you with his schemes that comes to target your heart, that comes to mess with your emotions and your feelings and your integrity and your witness and your testimony and your family, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Guard your heart and make godly choices to be obedient to the Lord and, watch this, and say no to the devil. Just say no to the devil. We saw in James 4, 7 just a minute ago, therefore submit to God, resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You got to have the submitting to God first because you're depending upon him. Without him, you're not going to be able to resist the devil. Y'all with me there? Resist the devil. So here's a way to remember it. Give the devil the boot or sin will take root. All right, write that down, all right? <laughs> Give him the boot, or sin will take root. Live the righteous life, and live in such a way that there are no regrets. Live, it as, live in such a way there are no regrets, all right? Let's look at verse 15, moving along. And he says, part of this armor of God, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's a lot of words. What does that mean? Well, he says, shod your feet. It really are the shoes or the sandals. And for a soldier, the shoes are very important because their lives depended upon those shoes. They needed to make sure that they had shoes that were not going to slip. They needed to have shoes that were going to be firmly grounded. As they were to take their defensive stance against their attacks, they needed to be able to shore their feet down into the ground so that they are not going to be able to, uh, they're not going to fall backwards, but they need to have a firm grip. There needs to be something that grounds them, have this sure footing. They need to be anchored and will not stumble. And that's what Paul is talking about. As you think about this life as a disciple, what in you is going to help you not to stumble? And what he says is, it's the gospel of peace. What does that mean? Well, see, this gospel of peace means that we have confidence. This is what is our sure footing. The gospel of peace. We have this confidence that we are at peace with Jesus. We're at peace with God because we know the gospel. We know that God loves us. We know that we belong to him. We know that because of the gospel, we are right with God. And it is this that is the solid ground where we can find our confidence as the devil comes against us. You see, when Satan attacks us, he attacks us oftentimes with this doubt. When he tells you that you are all alone. When he tells you that you are forsaken. When he tells you that God doesn't care. Well, beloved, this is what you do. You just prepare your feet. 
you shore up your feet. You get your stance because you have the confidence and you just look at that devil and you say, Devil, on this rock I stand. I am his and he is mine. For my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. And when darkness seems to hide his face, well, I'll just rest on his unchanging grace. And in every high and in stormy gale, my anchor holds, old devil, within the veil. For on Christ, the solid rock, I stand for all other ground is sinking sand and all other ground is sinking sand you see friends we have this belt of truth amen we have this belt of truth we have this breastplate of righteousness we have the shoes that are prepared with the gospel of peace but then he also tells us in verse 16 he says above all take the shield of faith which which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked the shield of faith there were two different kinds of shields in that day. There was one that was sort of a small circular shield. But that's not what's talked about here. This is a two and a half a foot wide, four and a half foot high shield that could protect the entire body of the soldier. And when these shields were linked side by side, it could protect each other as well. When we think about a shield today, we don't see too many shields, but there's a movie series out. The Marvel Comics has put out movies, and there is a character by the name of Captain America. And I like these movies, by the way. <clears throat> and he, Captain America has a shield. Woo, mercy, this shield. Man, this shield could do all kinds of things. Man, he throws it like a boomerang. It, 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 it's got power to, to wield off you know, the, the bullets that may come. It just bounces right off like nothing. It's got enough power. He throws it just right, and it can even cut off the wing of an airplane. It's amazing. She's got a star on everything. But here's what you need to know about that shield. It is not real. <laughs> it's just not real. When you look at real shields today, you know, you, maybe you've seen, some of you maybe had to deal with these as well as, a, as a police officers. Maybe there's a shield, SWAT teams, whatever, there's a shield that's man-made. And those are real, but because they're man-made, they may not always stand up to the standards in which they've been created. But friends, listen, there is a shield that never fails. That is real. It's the shield of faith. The shield of faith. You see, it is placing our trust in someone who never fails, Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about faith, and, and in reality, sometimes we just live out faith in other things, we don't even say that we're having faith in those things, but that's what we're doing. We're placing our faith in stuff. This week, I uh, was able to go to Montreal, and I didn't drive there, but we flew in an airplane, got up Monday morning, went and came back on Wednesday in an airplane. And, you know, as a thought about that, have faith in that airplane to get us from point A to point B. But not only am I having faith in the airplane, but I'm having faith in the pilot of that airplane, that he knows what he's doing, Right? Not only do I have faith in the pilot, but I also have faith in the man who's in charge of putting fuel in that airplane, that he did it right. And not only am I having faith in the man who put the fuel in the airplane, I also have faith in a mechanic, people who I do not know and have not seen and did not see them working, but I'm having faith in a mechanic that he, he tightened all the screws in the right place and all the things he was supposed to do, that all that was done properly and in order. So I have faith in him. And then I have faith in an air traffic control uh, air, air traffic controller, that he's up there and he's watching how things are doing and I'm going to be okay from point A to point B. You say, well, preacher, that's just crazy if you to get an airplane. Well, maybe it is. But I really have faith in the one who owns it all, right? People give us a hard time sometimes about flying an airplane, but you know what? You think about driving a car. You got faith in a yellow line. You're trusting that line that is flat to the road that it's going to protect you from the person that's driving 60 miles an hour on the other side going in the opposite direction. You have faith in that person that they're not going to cross over that line, right? We have faith in a lot of things all the time. But brothers and sisters, this is what we need to know is those things will fail us sometimes. In airplanes, sometimes there are delays, there's cancellations, storms. I can't rely on those. Cars break down. Sometimes people cross the yellow line. But there is someone that we know we can have faith in who never fails. 
Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. We can trust him with all of our heart because he is the one who loves us unconditionally. He is the one who went to the cross for us, taking our sin upon himself. He did not deserve that, but he did that because of his obedience to the Father and his love for us. And he rose bodily from the grave on the third day. He's the one who said that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. And brothers and sisters, we can trust every promise in his word. We trust him by faith. And so, listen, the devil, what he wants is that you need to understand that every temptation, every temptation of the devil is a scheme to get you to distrust or to doubt what God has said in order for you to disobey God. But having faith in the Lord quenches those fiery darts of the wicked. The fiery darts are like arrows that had uh, a material that had, had flammable stuff on it, and they would light it, and they'd shoot it across. And that's what the devil does to us, to try to do as much damage as he possibly can. And we have this shield of faith. So when the devil, what does that look like? When the devil lobs over his dart over to us, he will say something like, you know, you really can't speak to people about Jesus. You know, you really weren't trained. You don't know the right words. Uh, you don't know what they're going to say to you. And so he causes you to doubt and, and, and think that you can't speak about Jesus. But that's when, friends, when he, he sends those, that arrow over, you just lift up that shield of faith and you say, but wait, but I trust in Jesus to give me what I need to say. Shield of faith. The devil, well, he will throw you a dart. He will shoot over. You know what? You really, you really can't step out of your comfort zone for Christ. You know, that's just uncomfortable for you. It's not what you like doing, and, and you don't know how this is going to work out. And then you just lift up that shield of faith. Hey, but, but Jesus says, trust me and lean on me because I have a plan. Trusting him by faith. You know, the devil, well, he will shoot over and he'll say, you know what? You can't give a tithe because that's just too much money. And I, if you give a tenth, then, then how will you make ends meet? But then you raise up that shield of faith and you say, hey, the, the Bible says that, Jesus, that the Lord says for me to trust him and try him in this, that he will provide. And hey, by the way, my Lord owns it all. The devil, he'll shoot over, you know what? You can't surrender your life to Christ. Don't do that. Don't give in to what Jesus wants you to do because if you do that, life is too boring as a disciple of Jesus. Hey, we lift up our shield of faith and we say, you know what? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am your satisfaction. And in me, you will never thirst again. Brothers and sisters, we can trust Jesus. Put up the shield of faith. Whatever the devil lobs over to you, put up that shield of faith and trust Jesus in the midst of it. Hear what 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Not faith in an airplane, not faith in the yellow line, but faith in Jesus. Amen? Then we see the helmet of salvation, verse 17. I'm really getting there. I really am. Take the helmet of salvation. It says, this is the helmet of salvation. It's the helmet of the hope of our salvation. So not the salvation we already have in Jesus, but the ultimate salvation, which is to come. So you see, what happens is, is the devil also loves to get into our minds. He loves to discourage us with our failures. He loves to discourage us and remind us about our past. He likes to get us with some guilt. He likes also for us to be in despair. When we look at the news, when we look at tragedies, we see crisis, we see struggles, and we get these things, and we look at these things, and we begin to think about them, and we begin to fret over them, and we begin to worry. And Paul says, look... As you go through this kind, because you're living in a Genesis 3 world. You're living in a world that's sin sick and, and sin cursed. As you deal with this stuff, look, put on that helmet of salvation and think on the things that are above. Think on the victory, the hope that is ours to come. Listen, friends, you need to understand that, yes, we struggle with sin. Yes, we worry about life. Yes, we fret over the news, but this is what you need to know. This will not last this will not last see what a day that will be when we see jesus in all of his glory and we cry out holy 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 glory worthy is the lamb 
who was slain. In verse 17, we also see not only they put on the helmet of salvation, but the sword of the Spirit. We see the sword of the Spirit meaning the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the author and the creator of this sword. The sword is the Word of God. And so the sword, thinking about a sword that needs to come out of the sheath, uh, when a soldier would bring that out, he, need to, he needs to have had some practice with that thing. You couldn't just pull it out and go at battle. You need to have some kind of practice because a sword demanded precision. So as we deal with the devil's attacks, we need the sword to, and we need practice. We need to know the word of God to be able to handle it well, to read the word, hear the word, meditate on the word, know what the Bible is saying to us, not just checking the box that I've read this chapter today. Okay? And so it's to be a defensive and an offensive weapon. Defensively, we need to know the word to defend ourselves as the devil attacks in temptation, just like Jesus did in the wilderness. But also offensively, we use the Bible as, our, as, as we use it for gospel, the gospel to pierce the darkness, but also to guide us into all truth and God of living. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.12 about this sword. He says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Friends, it is the word of God. So put on the whole armor of God. Depend on the Lord. Defend yourself. And this third point is very brief, I promise, all right? Be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Verses 18 through 20, that's what he's talking about. He's just given the sword of the Spirit. He's told him at the very beginning of this, you can't do this by yourself. You've got to depend on the Lord. Here are the tools. Here are the resources that you need by the power of God. Now, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He's saying this idea of devoted prayer is that you're to be praying always with all prayer, with all kinds of prayer and requests. It is to have a life of prayerfulness, a prayer of petition, prayer of requesting, prayer of interceding for each other. It is praying for yourself, but it is also praying for each other. It is praying as we pray for ourselves and for each other. It is praying for the gospel to be advanced. It is praying to win the warfare as we fight this battle. It is praying to have boldness in this culture. It is praying to be effective witnesses, and prayer is the key. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, when the disciples were in the garden right before the crucifixion, Jesus said to them, watch and pray. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we're to be constantly persevering in prayer, talking to the master, spending time with our king, knowing our Savior. Psalm 26, 2, the Bible says, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. And Psalm 139, 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Let bring everything, bring everything in our lives to the Lord in prayer. Everything. Not just those great big decisions, but beloved, every decision. Bring to the Lord in prayer. Bring everything to Him. Surround ourselves with Him and be in prayer. And so we see here that we are to be depending on the Lord to overcome Satan's sins, uh, Satan's schemes, to conquer Satan's schemes. Depend on the Lord. You can't do it. Surrender control to Him. Defend yourself using the tools that God's given you as a disciple and be devoted to prayer. Bring everything in our lives to Him in an attitude of prayerfulness continually. Okay, class, here are your last assignments for today. I know, right? What do you need to know? What do you need to take away? What is the thing that you need to pull away from today as a disciple? And this is what you need to know. We have the power to overcome through Jesus Christ. You need to know that. You also need to know that the, that the sentence does not end 
after the word overcome. It does not say we have the power to overcome. Because if you do not have those last three words, you will not overcome. We have the power to overcome through Jesus Christ. That's how we have the power to overcome. You need to know that. What do you need to be? You need to be prepared for the attacks. Satan will attack you. The nature, the, the natural flesh is constantly against the spirit. There will be these battles. Temptations will come. Be prepared for the attacks. And here, what we've read today, are the resources that God has given us to be prepared for those attacks. Amen? And then do. You've, ha- you've heard it. Now do it. Do stand firm. Do stand strong. Because victory is ours in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now we've talked about this discipleship. This has been Discipleship 101. If you go back and look at all the things uh, that we've talked about this, this uh, several weeks or so, we sort of have tried to pick, give you a picture of what it looks like to be a disciple. We've talked about a call. We've talked about the cost. We've talked about the courage, the characteristics, and on and on and on. So that you can get a picture of what is in, of discipleship. And so somebody asked me a few weeks back as we were just getting into this good, into the discipleship, this, at Disciple You. And I said, hey, pastor, when are we going to get our degree? When are we going to get our diploma here? With us? We had Disciple 101, Discipleship 101, just at Disciple You. When are we going to get our degree? I said, you ain't getting one. You're not getting one. As a matter of fact, as we got, as I was working on this message, I almost entitled this message The Commencement, but decided against it. But as in my mind, as I think about a picture of a disciple, I want to introduce you to someone on our screen here today, if you would. This man here is someone who's very dear to me. When I went to Midway back in 1997, March of 97, to preach a trial sermon, the chairman of the pulpit committee, uh, his, grand, his grandmother-in-law, so his wife's grandmother, had my family over uh, for lunch after church. This is the chairman of the pulpit committee's father-in-law, Buck Mason. Buck sat on the edge of the, right at the edge of the uh, table, and I sat at the corner. And as we conversed together and talked together over the next couple hours, my heart was knit to his heart. And little did we know that in a week or so I'd be called to be their pastor. Uh, but more than that, he became my friend. And for the next 18 years, from March, or rather from June of 1997 until I left to come here, Buck was my barber as well as my friend. This week, Buck went to be with the Lord. He, he passed away on Monday, and I went Friday to do the funeral for him. And as I looked... Uh, through the scripture and thought about what to say, I could not help but to think about what we had been talking about and talk about this man who, this man who is the picture of a disciple who loved Jesus, who loved the Lord with all of his heart, who was a humble man. His family shows his heart for Jesus. He has been genuine. He has been sincere. Now, that's not to say that he was perfect. He was not. He had physical struggles. He had mental struggles with depression as well. But many times as I would go in his barber shop, he worked three days as he is at retirement age. He worked three days as a barber. He worked Saturday morning, Monday morning, Tuesday morning from about 8 until 12. And on Tuesdays, I would typically call him and say, Buck, are you in the office today? I want to get a haircut. He'd say, come on, preacher, let me cut on your head. I said, all right. <laughs> so I'd go over. I'd get there about quarter till 12. If there was anybody before me, he would cut their hair. Then when I'd get in the chair, he'd leave the chair. He'd go over to the door. He'd pull the shade. He'd lock the door, and he'd close the curtains. And he'd come over, and he'd begin to cut my hair. And I would talk with him, and he would talk with me. A man of God, a disciple. He left this world with no regrets. Beloved, I want to be that kind of person that leaves this world with no regrets who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, who looks like Christ, who loves Jesus. There are struggles. There are struggles. 
but we are able to overcome through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 4, that you, watch this now, you are of God, little children. You're of God, little children. And you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Be that disciple. Be that disciple. He who is, great, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be your disciples. We want to be faithful to you in all that we say and do. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in our lives. We want to be the disciple that has no regrets. We want to be the disciple, O oh God, that overcomes daily. And the disciple that we know one day we're going to see you face to face in all of your glory. If there are those here today, Lord, who do not know you, who do not have that assurance, who do not have that confidence, we pray that as we come to this invitation, that they would just simply acknowledge they're sinners in need of a Savior just like all of us. And then turn from that sin, turning to Jesus in humble repentance, believing, embracing with all their heart that you're the Son of God, who died on the cross, rose again, bodily from the grave, and gives us hope, and to profess you as the Lord and Savior of our lives as a step of faith. But also, Father, we pray for each of us who are disciples, who are your believers. Lord, that we will take what we have understood today from your word and apply it to our lives, that we would be that disciple that is a picture of loving Jesus and seeking to be like you more and more, even though, Lord, we know that there are struggles in this life, that we find that we, are, we can overcome through the power of Jesus Christ. Help us to grow closer to you day by day by day and to constantly win the battles. And may you be glorified in and through us as through our life, we're able to point people to Jesus in our family, at work, at school, in the marketplace, wherever we may be. Lord, for your glory, praise, and honor. And now, Lord, may you be with us as we make those decisions. May we just need to come and pray and yield this time to you and yield our hearts to you. As we come to this invitation, Lord, may you deal with all of us to seek to be that kind of disciple that you've called us to be. And we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing our invitation, you come and feel free to come and just pray here silently or take Pastor Joe or myself by the hand and we'll be glad to pray with you as we stand and sing together.